I really believe that if you get to know people as humans instead of transactions, magic starts to happen. Do things that don't scale. That's venture capitalist Paul Graham's advice to new entrepreneurs. And what he means by that is that instead of trying to appeal to the masses or market an idea with a million-dollar advertising budget, start by wooing one person at a time. Now, I've always loved this advice, and I have found it to be unfailingly effective. But I think it's possible to take this idea a little too far. I'm Tara McMullen. And this is What Works, the show that explores how small business owners are building stronger businesses without the shoulds and supposed tos. Now, when I say it's possible to take the idea of doing things that don't scale too far, I'm talking about our tendency to assume that you do things that don't scale until you can do the things that do scale. And for Graham's audience, this is totally the right idea. But for small business owners, more often than not, the idea is do things that don't scale and then do them some more. And this absolutely applies to how we build audiences or find customers. The activities that have brought me the biggest leaps forward in terms of the size of my audience were things that came from one-on-one interactions. The things that have brought in incredible clients, they certainly didn't scale. Now, it's not that scale isn't possible. It's just that scale is a potential result, not a method. The best path forward for most small business owners is a marketing strategy that doesn't scale. Referrals, word of mouth, networking, interacting with people online, even creating highly valuable podcast episodes or newsletters. Today, I'm talking with Felicia Sullivan, a brand strategist who has built a thriving business on marketing activities that don't scale. Felicia works with startup founders and small businesses doing 10 to $20 million in annual revenue, folks who aren't looking for business help on Instagram. So Felicia spends her business development time on three things, coffee dates, writing long-form articles geared directly to her prospective clients, and referrals. This episode answers some of the questions I'm most frequently asked about when it comes to marketing businesses that aren't built on online courses, which, as you know, is most of them. So get ready to take some notes, and let's find out what works for Felicia Sullivan. Felicia Sullivan, welcome to What Works. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Tara. I am really looking forward to this conversation. I think to set the stage for where we're going today, it would be really helpful to have you just start off by telling us about the kind of clients that you work with and what you do for them. Sure. So I tend to work with, it's actually been an interesting evolution in terms of who I work with. So I've been a consultant for about eight years. And at first I took anyone who would pay me. (laughs) That was sort of the starting point. But then as the years evolved and as I started to think about my values and how they impacted my business, I started to get a little bit more discerning in terms of who I wanted to work with. So now I mostly work with startups and small businesses that uh, do good for profit. So even though they may not be a profitable, uh, a nonprofit, they have elements within their business that actually think about society beyond their P&L. Mm-hmm. So mostly startups, uh, small businesses in all different kinds of industries. Normally companies under, I'd say you're normally they're between 10 and 20 million, but under 50 million. 
Got it. Awesome. And can you describe the the kind of work that you do with them? Sure. So I do. It's so funny. I loved last month's modules on simplicity because it just really reminded me that if you go back to uh, the core of what you love and what you're good at and keep things super simple, then the work tends to be uh, just seamless. So I mm-hmm. offer my clients three things. One, I help them build their brand platform. So positioning, messaging, knowing who their customers, all that fun stuff. So the foundation of their business. I also help with uh, customer segmentation, which is a really fancy way of saying I use data to understand customer behavior. So I, so you match brand to customer, and so they have a great way of having a conversation. And the last link in that piece is content strategy. So how do you mm. use the stories that you want to tell your customers and making sure they're the right stories that resonate and placing them at the right channels at the right time? So it's basically, I like to say that I like to be at the start of a business in terms of just building that entire foundation. Or if a client comes to me and says, you know what, I'm having a really hard time because my Facebook ads aren't converting like they used to. And so I'll go back and say, hey, let's just revisit the fundamentals. Do you know who your customer is? Do you know what motivates them to buy your products? And so I love sort of coming back to the core and just reexamining that to make sure that, you know what, regardless of all that fun performance marketing and TikTok videos, at the end of the day, you really have a true foundation (laughs) from which to build. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, that's this month's theme in a nutshell, right? So, (laughs) um, and I love, these are some of my favorite kinds of What Works uh, episodes when we can find someone like you who has this deep level of expertise and experience in actually executing the things that we're talking about, but we get to talk about them from your point of view instead of from your (laughs) clients' points of view. Um, And I I just think that's really, it's always very eye-opening to me and I think to our ear-opening maybe to our listeners as well. Okay, so the types of businesses that you named are not the kind of folks who are trolling around on social media looking for people to support their businesses. (laughs) Uh, So, you know, and that that tends to be one of the go to ways Mm. that people think they're going to be finding clients. So Mm. what have you found successful for for finding clients instead? You know, it's so funny you mentioned that, Tara, because years ago, I thought social media was the only way to find clients. And I would get super frustrated when I would be on Instagram and Twitter and build audience. But I think uh, building audience isn't necessarily the same thing as having a client list. I mean, they're two very, very different things. And one of the things I found most recently is, to your point, my audience is not on social media. And so I'm actually not on social media. I'm on LinkedIn, of course, but that's pretty much the only social media that I'm on. So in terms of how do I find clients... It's one of three things, and and two of them are really just bound in people connections. So I have recurring coffee dates constantly with folks who are you know new to me in my network, but also folks maybe who I've worked with years ago, and it's just kind of keeping in touch and having those conversations. And I really believe that if you get to know people as humans instead of transactions, uh, things magic starts to happen. So if I go in with no expectations, say you know what, I really like this person, I just kind of want to connect with them. And you know, invariably, we'll talk about business. And of course, that keeps me top of mind for any kind of referrals. But at the end of the day, I'm just getting to know good people. And when you have low expectations, uh, I think delicious things start to happen. So it's kind of one thing, sort of that ongoing. And I don't want to call it networking because it's not, it doesn't feel transactional. It just feels like two people getting on the phone and having a conversation. And something may come out of that. So I look at that as more of a farming technique than a hunting mm-hmm. technique. 
Um, in terms, another way that I get clients is through thought leadership on Medium. So I've been on the platform for about eight years, and I consistently write um, really exceptional, con- like put out really exceptional content, like long form detail with worksheets and all that stuff. So I want a client to feel as if a they know that I have the expertise and the results. So that's easier in terms of vetting. And B, they have a really sense of my personality that comes through my writing. So even when they come to me and they are seemingly cold, they're not really cold, they're warm because they know that I'm competent and they know my energy and vibe. So the conversations usually are more of like, okay, let's make sure that this is really a match. It's more of a closed conversation as opposed to me pitching them. And the third way is through old school referrals. I figure, Uh you know, you do good work, and I really believe that it's not just about the work that sets you apart. It's also about the the totality of client experience, everything from onboarding to, you know, how you close the engagement and keep up with them, you know, in between points of contact. And so I often find that when I do good work for my clients and I treat them well and I consistently kind of say, hey, what's going on? Or I saw this article and I thought of you. I often actually I send a lot of my clients your podcast links. Oh well, thank you. To say this is really good, or like your long form blog post, because a lot of my clients love to kind of they're voracious consumers of Mm -hmm. information, and so I think once you kind of stay in their lives, they're more apt. It's more like me being in front of people, so I'm consistently top of mind for them. Okay, so we are going to dig in (laughs) to each of those three things. So let's start with coffee dates. Sure. This is a confounding thing for me. I am, Mm. this is something I am really not good at. um, And I know that it's also, (laughs) it's something that I think a lot of people are good at, but what they're not good at is sort of the setup. They Mm. don't know how to be finding the right people, meeting the right people, having the right kinds of conversations. Mm. Um, So how do you find, how do you connect with the people that then you have coffee dates with? Sure. So it's, it's, you know, it's interesting. I think for me, I'm, I'm a person who's consistently curious. So I'm always reading, always consuming information. And the way that I approach people is never in a pitch style. So they never have to feel sort of on their guard because I don't want anything from them other than to know them. So I'll go, tactically speaking, I'll go on LinkedIn, and I have a pretty sizable network. And I follow the content that people put out. And if there's something that Mm -hmm. really resonates me, I'll read, it's sort of like when I love a movie, I'll watch like the entire actor's IMDb. (laughs) So I do that with content creators. If I like you, it's like I get really obsessive. And I'm like, I want to read everything this person has put out there because it jibes with me. And And nine times out of 10, they're not directly in my industry because I often feel that Mm. um, in order for me to do better work, I need consistently need outside perspectives. So I often look to adjacent industries, so more artistic people like graphic designers or other kinds of marketers or even people who don't even do what I do. But ultimately, they're putting something out there that really jibes with me in terms of thought leadership or just their energy. So I'll do that on LinkedIn. I'll sort of farm, like I'll spend about mm, 30 minutes to an hour a week kind of farming my feed and saying, okay, who's putting out really cool stuff? And, you know, who do I keep track of? So I have like a little spreadsheet where I keep track of folks that I kind of want to connect with. So even before I connect with them, I have probably have read like 20 blog posts or listened to a lot of their podcasts. So I have, I go in saying, hey, I really respect your work. I'd love to connect with you and I'll talk about their work. So it's really sort of about them and how we can interact. I do that on uh, LinkedIn. I've also found, and this is a plug for the What Works Network. (laughs) (laughs) 
I've actually also set up, it's so easy in the network because everyone there is coming from a place of giving. So there's mm-hmm. never sort of this um, nervousness because everyone's really there to help one another. And so I've set up through the network, I think I've set up already 15 coffee dates with oh folks. Oh my word. I know. I just, I you haven't even ex- been in there that long. I know, but everyone's just so excited to connect. And I've met like so many different kinds of people. And sometimes, you know, you'll find that some relationships really there's a kinetic connection and others yeah. are like, okay, this is cool, but maybe, you know, not. And then finally, it, it's, it is, it is me looking at, cause I listen to podcasts all the time. I read content all the time. So if I find a creator that really resonates with me, I'll do the same thing. So it's not mm-hmm. as, you know, channel specific, but it's more like, I get so much stuff in my feed on a daily basis. And then often I'll say, you know what, let me put a spreadsheet together of my LinkedIn, my what work, what works network, and as well as the other content I consume and start to kind of make those connections. And often just because I've read their backlog and it, I come to them saying, I just want to connect, you know, here's my information. If my energy jives with you, I'd love to just set up a 30 minute chat where we could just kind of get to know each other. There's no agenda which is quite nice. And people are pretty receptive to that. That's amazing. Okay, so I love (laughs) how much of this revolves around you consuming remarkable Mm. content and paying attention to other people. I think we get so in our heads about what we're going to create Mm. and how we are going to be seen that we don't take the time, we don't make the space to actually consume what other people are putting out. And so it's no wonder that we're not making these connections. And this is something I've been thinking about quite a bit this year with my commitment to creating remarkable content is if I want to create remarkable content, I have to be consuming remarkable content, right? Because garbage in, garbage out. (laughs) And that's not what I I want. I've been there, done that, and I'm not interested in it. Um, So... You know, I think fresh air, fresh air perspective, like, for example, a lot of your articles yeah. reference other people's uh, thought leadership, whether they're philosophers or they're business leaders. And I think what I, I like to think of it as exceptional content has air in it, in mm. the sense that it's not just confined to what you think it is. It's what you think, but it's informed or even just sort of have, make space for you know, other people's points of view. So, you know, maybe part of what you're writing from your perspective jives with someone, but maybe somebody else, and I've often find this with your work and other other folks' works, where they'll reference like a Nilifer merchant or just mm-hmm. other folks. And I'll just kind of look up, I'll look up all the books online and I'll click on the show notes. And for me, I think remarkable content, the best content I see out there is when it's informed or there's air being let in with other thought leaders. And I think oftentimes we think, oh, I have to only kind of put out my best content about me as a thought leader. And oftentimes that actually isn't the case. I think a lot of people really connect with content when they feel as if, oh, they found you. But like the gem is, well, I found like three other thought leaders or authors or or, um, philosophers that really connect with me. And in, in a way, it's a gift to your reader when you're introducing them to different points of view um, as it's informing yours. It sounds like it's not just, you know, consuming remarkable content is not just about creating remarkable content. It's also about creating remarkable relationships mm. for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think I don't think you can have um, it's very funny. I think before the pandemic, I used to 
brag about being allergic to people because I'm an extremely shy introvert. And people mm-hmm. think, based on these one-on-one conversations, someone would say, absolutely not, because you're so vivacious and all these effusive and all these things. And I say, well, put me in a crowded room, and I'm sort of the person in the corner. But what I've learned post-pandemic or within the pandemic, I've actually learned that I don't thrive. I don't actually grow as a business and as a marketer if I'm not consistently connected to other people and their points of view. I may not agree or I may not adopt all of their frameworks, but the idea that other people um, are doing things in such a different way, but we're all getting to the same destination really excites me. So I think oftentimes when folks are so sort of, and I like to use the word myopic or have this tunnel vision about their business and think, okay, I have to only focus on promoting me and my excellence and my business, I think there is a symbiotic relationship between the business and the content you're creating, as well as the relationships you cultivate with others who are in your community um, that you do admire, that you do want to introduce to other people, because they also learn from you. And I, I think that we can't exist as businesses without those connections with people. One other aspect of, you know, these kinds of coffee date situations uh, that I think is very confusing to people, including myself, Mm. is the follow-up process. Mm. What does actually nurturing that relationship look like once you've established it? You know, a part of it is, I do have a process, but part of it's ad hoc. I think, you know, from that first conversation, people sense a vibe. Like I think a Mm -hmm. mutual, like there's a mutual connection. And oftentimes I think the very best thing to do is if you're feeling it, I often say, hey, I'd love to do this again. Can we set up something on a monthly or bi-monthly basis where it's a recurring meeting, where it's in our calendars already? I'll set it up. I'll send you the Zoom link. And, you know, we'll move it, obviously, if things happen. But I think if you're if, if you feel the energy from that first conversation, I think a lot of times you'll just know intuitively. Um, I think the idea of within that conversation, while the energy is still fresh before they go on to the rest of their day, the idea of, hey, let's let's keep doing this. Let's let's solidify this. And I actually just had this conversation yesterday with someone I met in the network where we were on the phone for over an hour and we had so much more to talk about. And 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 she she said to me, let's keep doing this. And I said, yes, let me send you a monthly invite. And, and sometimes, you know, oftentimes, if you like the conversation, but didn't feel that level of connection, it, it is about like, hey, I send me keep sending me links. It's more like this sort of um, exchange via email, or let's mm-hmm. follow one another to keep abreast of one another. So it's still a connection. But I think sometimes you have to be really um, thoughtful in terms of winnowing down because you don't want to spread yourself too thin. So I think if there's an immediate connection that, that, that doesn't always happen, I say latch onto it and make it recurring. And, you know, based on what's your schedule, I say monthly because it's mostly manageable for folks. But sometimes mm-hmm. I'll do like a bi-monthly date. And, and that has been super helpful. If it's in our calendars, then we commit to it. I love that. How many people are you regularly talking to right now? Uh, I'd say 10. Nice. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, sometimes they're just like half an hour check-ins. Sometimes they're hour long. Um, I used to, I love the being boss podcast and I love the term Mm -hmm. business bestie. So there'll be an hour long business bestie where we will have an agenda where the like someone who, if you cultivate a relationship over a period of time, will say, hey, I'm struggling with this aspect of my business. Can we hop on a call? And it's it's sort of this mutual relationship where we both kind of give to one another based on what's going on in our business. But for the most part, it's sort of really informal um, in terms of checking in. I don't like to have too stringent of an agenda. 
especially considering the world in which we live and a lot of the people I connect with are parents. <laughs> so yeah. I don't want to put more stuff in their brain than they're already managing. I'm like, let's just start off with like, how, how are you? What's going on? Like, how are you How are you surviving the pandemic? <laughs> and I think then from them, we can t- kind of talk about our business. But I think if we keep it sort of loose, but scheduled, I think that definitely helps. You'll hear more from Andrea in just a minute, but first, a word from our What Works partners. What Works is brought to you by the Standout Podcast Club. Are you a podcaster or aspiring podcaster who wants to create a standout show that helps to grow your business? We would love to support you inside the Standout Podcast Club. The Standout Podcast Club is your hub for the training, coaching, and networking you need to produce a podcast that grows your small business. Inside, you'll find a complete blueprint for producing a podcast that gets noticed, attracts an audience, and helps you to grow your business. Standout Podcast Club is more than an online course. It's a dynamic, community-powered coaching hub that helps us help you on every aspect of how you produce your show. If you run into a question, ask. If you're looking for feedback on an idea, tell the club. If you want to talk trends, strategy, or planning for the future, start the conversation. We want to help you use your voice and grow your business, and so do the other podcasters inside Standout Podcast Club. We also offer a roundtable discussion and Q&A call each month so that you can meet up with other podcasters, get your questions answered in real time, and learn new of-the-moment ideas for your show. Find out more about Standout Podcast Club by going to standoutpodcast.club. That's standoutpodcast.club. What Works is also brought to you by Mighty Networks. Social media has given us a pretty incredible way to meet people we would have never met in the analog world alone. But it can also be a pretty scary place, especially for sensitive conversations and vulnerable questions. When Margot Blackstone and Marin Green started asking themselves whether the audience of birth workers and birthing women they were building was really being served by mass social media platforms, they realized that the policies and culture on these platforms just wasn't helping them create the conversations that they wanted to facilitate. So Margot and Marin moved their brand and its community, the Indie Birth Association, to Mighty Networks. Moving into a private, dedicated space online had immediate results. Margot says she noticed that more people were engaging with their courses, asking questions, and talking to other members. Margot and Marin have opted to make the Indie Birth Association a private network that's free to join. Instead, members can jump into both paid and free courses, as well as paid and free groups. The Indie Birth Association launched in February 2020 and today boasts over 2,000 members. Mighty Networks made it possible for Margot and Marin to create a safer space for braver conversations about birth online. What could Mighty Networks do for you? Learn more about the successful communities that call a Mighty Network home and give it a try for yourself. Go to MightyNetworks.com. Let's move on and talk about Medium. Yes. Uh, because this is something that, well, I mean, first off, your Medium stuff is amazing. And the Thank you. audience that you've built there is amazing. Uh, and it is 
it's something that I keep meaning to learn more about, as I've said to you before, <laughs> and just don't. Yeah, I would love to just can you maybe just kind of lay out for us what your your process on medium has Ooh. been what that journey's looked like and then what the process actually looks like for you today sure so for folks who don't know medium is sort of a very souped up blogging platform but with a built-in audience so it's it's think of it as like your own wordpress blog but with a built-in audience of mostly business professionals and Ultimately, when I was thinking about, okay, I, my client isn't on social media mm-hmm. and they're not on Facebook, they're not on Twitter, that's not where they're looking for people like me. And so, but they are on media, you know, venture capitalists, mm-hmm. small business owners, entrepreneurs, they're all on that platform consuming content. And so I thought, okay, I have to go where my audience resides. And that was the first thing. But when I started on the platform, I wrote in 2013, I wrote personal essays. It was more blogging. And then in 2019, so I had a seismic shift in terms of how I use the platform because I think in general I was just getting super frustrated with seeing a lot of folks um, put out extremely expensive courses um, that didn't give access and opportunity to a lot of folks who couldn't afford $2,000 for a course. And it's not kind of diminishing that. It's just sort of I wanted to create more access and more education. And so initially – and also – a lot of what I saw out there, <laughs> being delicate about this, a lot of what I saw out there wasn't being put out by actual experts. Yeah. So when they talked about you know how to build a brand, they were even getting a lot of the terminology wrong. And so one of my friends said, you can either complain or you can create your counterpoint. Yeah. And so I said that because she's like, complaining does nothing. You know, put out something out there that's your counterpoint, and that's your response to what's going on in the world. And so I used Medium as a platform initially. What changed everything for me is I published an eight, um, kind of like my magnum opus. It's like an eight-post series about how to build a brand. And it came with worksheets. I get, basically gave you my entire playbook <laughs> of how to build a brand. And that changed everything for me in terms of, you know, visibility on the platform. And I learned that while a lot of people were preaching, oh, you you have to only put out short form content because people don't have attention spans. I actually found just the opposite. I found that if I put out really immersive, great content in my voice, so people felt that, that they weren't falling asleep, then it would definitely connect and resonate with them. So that's been my just focus. And I've just kind of been focused on, okay, who is my customer? What problems am I trying to solve? What information I'm trying to give them? And, you know, from that magnum opus, it's it creates sort of a well of content of like, I could just dig into each, you know, definition and sort of blow it up to create additional content and stories. And so that has been incredibly helpful for me in terms of just, you know, visibility, getting myself out there, that top of funnel stuff. But mm-hmm. at the same time, I also have the opportunity to engage one-on-one with people. So people will ask me follow-up questions in the comments, like I'll jump in. And then oftentimes they'll just reach out to me on LinkedIn and say, hey, I'd love to kind of chat further about hiring you to do X, Y, Z. And so I think for me, it's sort of what you've been talking about in terms of if you put out incredibly remarkable content in the places where your customer resides and being really focused and thinking, okay, I, yes, I have a large audience on Medium, but the majority of those people aren't spending, you know, a lot of money to hire me. So I have to get really focused on who my customer is, who I'm serving, 
and make sure I deliver content to them. And then everything else is just sort of icing in terms of just education and service. I love that. (laughs) What does your process look like today then? How frequently are you posting and how do you decide what you're going to write about at any given time? Sure. So it's interesting. I used to sort of post very ad hoc. Now I'm a little bit more intentional about what I put out there. So I put up a post, a long post once a week. And usually, much like what you've tasked, what you take on, I look at themes and sort of what am I thinking about? And it's also in response to kind of what's going on in the marketplace mm-hmm. and and responding to that. A lot of what I've been writing about now is value-based brands and how to build trust um, because that's really changed as a result of COVID. And so I look at, it's a combination of me consuming all of this content, understanding what's going out in the world, and then me putting my spin on that um, from a brand perspective. So it's usually, I usually work on a piece of content that is quite long, probably like a eight to 10 minute read uh, mm-hmm. once a week that's completely in depth. And then I'll have a follow-up post in my newsletter that kind of has a riff off of that, but a little bit more personal. So people feel as if they're getting more um, from the same piece of content. And I find if I used to kind of publish every day, and I actually found that if I publish one deliberate, intentional, comprehensive piece that really resonates with people, and I'm incorporating other thought leadership into that piece, so they have little little gifts, I think that has really resonated with my audience, because it's also a contrast to everything else that's on the platform, because there's a lot of like, three minute articles of like, how to do this. Meanwhile, I'm like, okay, this is how you actually do a customer segmentation study. Here's my 27 minute read. (laughs) (laughs) And people (laughs) like, here's my, my epic essay. (laughs) And, and people are like, that's never going to work. It's antithetical to how the platform works. And I said, there's no one way of ever doing anything. I think as long as you write, as long as you um, are writing from a place that aligns with your values and you have a point of view and a voice, and clearly there are formatting elements of the platform to be cognizant of. So of course that's important, like how to format your headlines and all that good Mm -hmm. stuff. But as long as you're following that, I think there are no steadfast rules. It's just more along the lines of what feels right for you. Like I know some thought leaders on the platform create um, sort of what you do on Instagram with their illustrations. They actually Mm -hmm. create uh, content that starts off with a series of illustrations and then they go into the text or they'll drop like a YouTube video uh, for people who are more visually inclined. That's not my energy and that works Mm -hmm. for other people. But it's the same, again, it's the same, we all get to the same destination, but the way our routes are completely different. And I think allowing people to have, I think if you have only one type of content on a platform, that for the reader kind of gets boring and you kind of get lost in all of that noise. But if you if you if you are voice driven in what you create and you believe that what you're creating actually gives value and an experience to the person who's consuming it, then you don't necessarily have to form uh, follow the platform rules. I think, you know, I'm a, I'm a writer at my heart and I always believe rules are meant to be broken, <laughs> bent and broken and, and put back together like Humpty Dumpty. So, you know, that's what I've been doing on the platform and it's been incredibly successful for me um, because I've combined like voice plus experience. Uh, mm-hmm. And of course, thinking about how do I deliver that remarkable content to people? Yeah. 
the way I've been thinking about it a lot lately is respecting the medium, which is different than following the rules of the platform, right? So mm. to me, you're doing an amazing job respecting the medium of writing a really great meaty article that yeah. people are gonna wanna bookmark, save, comment on, highlight, revisit again and again and again, mm. which is of course good for business, right? Like that's yeah. never going to be bad for business. Absolutely. Um, Right. But it's not like, OK, what does medium want me to do and how am I going to, you know, how am I going to fit this particular idea into this little box that medium has created for me? <laughs> I no. really, really appreciate that distinction. And like you said, there that doesn't mean there aren't still like formatting guidelines to follow. And absolutely. Yeah. The conventions, the conventions of the platform. So, uh, yeah. So great. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I'm just looking at the time and I'm like, okay, I could do, we could do a whole other episode on medium, which maybe we should have just done that. It's been requested in the past, so we'll have to have you back on. Um, but For let's sure. talk about referrals. Yeah, um, because yes, this yes. is something that applies to so many people. How do you make mm. sure referrals keep coming in? That's a good question. I think referrals are tricky because it's not um, a guaranteed recurring revenue, unlike mm -hmm. you know some of the other techniques that I use where I feel like that is uh, a little bit more um, sustainable. I think with, with referrals, I'm really good about, I think in terms of how you manage a client, I always say how you close is just as important as how you open. And so, you know, at the, at the end of the engagement, I normally sort of ask them, you know, because they're, they're in that moment of they're being super happy with what I've done. So, hey, um, in addition to the testimonial, do you know of any, any other folks that would love to have my services? And then could I also add you to my email list? And so I do that. So I think the hardest thing about referrals is being top of mind. And so I always consistently mm -hmm. think, how could I be like at the top of their inbox? So when, you know, they may, they may know that I do something, but six months down the road, they may not remember or just have it top of mind. And so I make sure that not only do I do that at the close process, that they see my thought leadership in their inbox once a week. And then I do quarterly check-ins in terms of mm. like, hey, what's going on? You know, I did this one project. I just want to check in what's going on with your business. And then, you know, I, I'll tell them if I have any additional services going on. So I'm pretty proactive in terms of connecting with my old clients who are really happy with my work. And normally that is either spurred more work with them, which I quite like because it's a little easier, or mm -hmm. it's keeping me top of mind so they'll refer me to other clients. Um, I don't have, though, a referral system in place. I've never, I tried in the past and that hasn't really worked out for me. Um, but I do absolutely, when people make referrals, I do send gifts as a thank you, you know, because mm. I really do believe in sort of nurturing that relationship at every step of the way. And I think a more personalized gift instead of money um, has always felt right for the clients that I work with. So it's just a combination of, you know, serving them really well, keeping in touch with them. And a lot of clients have remarked that it feels as if, even though we have a professional relationship, we're also friends um, because of the way that I keep up with them. I'll say, hey, I, I saw this podcast and I thought of you. And, and that just like two second email just says, oh, Felicia, I should have, I should tell her about this project that I've got cooking. And so it's just always, I'm always thinking about, since I don't tend to have like thousands of clients, you know, I have, you know, a lot that I can manage. Mm -hmm. I kind of keep in mind, and I also have a spreadsheet of, 
you know, like the client engagements, uh, what we worked on together. And I'll just have some notes on preferences or just notes about the engagements. So I know, hey, this client really loves to learn more about this. And so if I see like a podcast or a blog post, I'm the type of person who will just flip them a quick email and say, hey, I thought of you. I think you'd love this. Here's a quick synopsis and here's the link. And people appreciate the brevity of the email and the fact that I'm constantly thinking of them. And so that constantly keeps keeps me top of mind for referrals. Mm. It sounds like all three things that we've talked about, the coffee dates, the medium writing and thought leadership, mm. and your referrals all have overlapping aspects of the energy that you put into them, which yes. is such a, a great way to build traction without mm. overwhelming you. And yeah. I'm very curious about how you divide your time or what you're actually <laughs> spending time on in a given week. How yeah. much of your time is spent on client work and how mm -hmm. much of your time is spent on these other activities that are supporting your business? That's a good question. I'm actually incredibly good with my time. I, I work for about four to five hours a day. Uh, and that's, I typically, I actually have found that I spend just as much time on um, the other things that build those relationships in addition to my client work. And I don't see them as, I don't see that as a bad thing because mm -hmm. I've, uh, I have my client work down to a really systematized process and I've brought in help at admin points. So it, it frees me up to have a little bit more space in my business. So all that onboarding that took like 10, 20 hours, now I have that outsourced. So then I can take that time and allocate it to cultivating those relationships. And so it's more like, I'd say I spend about 20, 20 hours a week, like full on in client work and maybe 10 to 15 on you know, other things like writing medium posts or connecting with my clients or having these coffee dates. And, and quite honestly, I think once you're intentional about, uh, so for example, if I were to set up like a hundred coffee dates, because I just kind of wanted to cram everything in, I think I would be overwhelmed. So it, mm -hmm. in part, it's me sort of a building a process and B, being really intentional about the people with whom I want to connect. So not, I'm not, not just asking random people. It's sort of like, okay, I've been consuming this content as part of my just daily, every day, every morning I open up my phone and I read stuff or I listen to a podcast when I'm walking. And so from that, I'll take notes on my notes app. Like, okay, I have to, I want to connect with this person. I'll put it in my spreadsheet <laughs> and then I'll make a point. So I think once you have a system in place to A, manage your client work where you know, uh, for the most part, of course, every engagement is different, but the process that I that I use is exactly the same for every client. So it's pretty seamless in terms of time. And then, you know, I'm focused on just doing the work that is in my zone of genius and kind of outsourcing other stuff to folks that's not in my zone of genius so I can free up time to do all these other things. And I often find like um, people, people often ask, oh, you must be so insanely busy. And said, no, I, I time block. And I'm intentional about who I want to connect with and what I write about. And I have the systems in place for everything. And so I think once you have that foundation, and I think so often we don't talk about the importance of systems <laughs> and processes because they're not sexy because it's social media is sexy. But I actually find freeing up my time is sexy. So if a spreadsheet yes. can do that, 
if a spreadsheet can allow me to cultivate connections with people in an easier way or organize my thinking, um, I think that's super helpful. So for all that sort of referral stuff, you know, I just have an ongoing spreadsheet that I'll just drop the client's name in a few notes and that's it. You know, there's not a lot of work involved. And I think if you just make that investment in the right systems that work for you, I'm pretty lean in terms of tech. It's like Excel, Google Docs, you know, I'm not super fancy because it doesn't work for me. Um, then ultimately, I find that I have time and space to do the things that I love, which is actually meeting people that light me up or just fill my curiosity or fill, fill my bucket, for lack of mm. a better term. I think that all of the clarity you have about what does actually work for you, about what your business does actually need, makes those systems easier Mm -hmm. to see because I think so many times the lack of systems in a business is because they don't know what works. They don't know how they do what they do. It's not, mm. not that they don't do it well, but like there yeah. isn't that clarity of process. Whereas it sounds like you have that clarity of process. You know exactly why you're doing what you're doing and therefore yeah. how executing can help you fulfill that goal. Yeah, I think part of it is also what's been helpful, especially on the client side, is taking a step back and and looking at how it's sort of like I do a quarterly audit of myself and my business. You know, where am I placing my time? What am I doing on each project? What does it feel like I keep repeating that could be systematized? And so I'm really conscious of not only kind of auditing to see, okay, where can I create efficiencies in what I'm doing with my clients, but at the same time, I'm also auditing to think about based on these other conversations, like this whole life over here, um, that's starting to inform the way that I build brands because I'm getting all this juicy perspective from other people. I also think, okay, well, how could I actually better my product based on those relationships? So it's a twofold. Every quarter I look at saying, how could I simplify um, mm -hmm. How could I create process or how can I um, reduce the amount of time where I'm not working on the actual thing and, and more on the admin that I can farm out and how could I make this better, right? And so I think it's, it's some of it is because I think so often we're so kind of head down in our business that we don't take the time to take a step back. And I love in the Being Boss uh, podcast, they have this CEO day, which I quite like. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's every year, I actually do it quarterly, where you take a step back and you look at your numbers, you look at your, your processes, you look at your marketing, and you're asking yourself, okay, what's working? What's not working? And, and being really sort of um, surgical about what's not working and not being attached to it and, and thinking, okay, I want to do more of this. And so I started to notice, wow, these coffee dates are actually turning into incredible leads and quali quality leads. Right. And so how do I create a process around that? And then and then while I was like working on that, I noticed social wasn't working for me. Why am I on Instagram? Why am I on Twitter? It's just noise for me. And so I eliminated those things from, you know, my consumption diet and then refocused on things that were actually working. So I think, you know, it, it, for me, it was a little simpler because I just said to myself, step back, audit, assess, evaluate and then create new systems and processes where you need them. So inspiring, Felicia, <laughs> thank you. Um, okay, so that seems like a good place to wrap things up. There seriously is like four, <laughs> at least four topics that I could have you back on the show for, so we'll talk about that. I'd love um, to come back. 
<laughs> um, but my last question to everyone is always, what are you excited about right now? Oh, goodness. What am I excited about? I am excited about, I actually, uh, based on, <laughs> I hate to keep plugging what works, but it does work. <laughs> Uh, based on uh, like last month, there was a module on simplicity, which really was profound for me. And I am very into simplicity just inherently in my business. And so I'm excited about two things. One, taking a step back and really going through my offering and making sure it's as compelling Uh, Not only for what I deliver the clients, but how I position it and how I price it. So I'm excited about that. That's internal. External, I am excited because uh, I had just launched a course with Medium. I partnered with one of their publications uh, to do a five-day course on career pivots. And so uh, because I've never had a, a linear trajectory in my career, so I wanted to let people know in this age of uncertainty that it's okay to, again, it's okay to step back reflect, reassess, and think about, okay, this is where I want to go uh, with my career or my business. And so I, I love the idea that there, I'm doing some work internally in my business, but that I'm also consistently and constantly sharing those learnings with people on Medium. So it's been this incredible symbiotic relationship between the two. And I think ultimately at the end of the day, uh, we're, we are in the relationship business as opposed to like the product or service business. <laughs> Because ultimately, mm-hmm. we sell to people. People sell to people. Yep. And so I keep reminding myself, um, okay, at the core of everything I do, how do I still keep connected in a way that feels right and it feels human and a little less transactional? Yeah, Felicia Sullivan, thank you so much for giving us a look at what marketing actually looks like in a business that is not social media marketing. We, I just thank you. really appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. It's been wonderful. If you're one of the many business owners who wishes they could give up on social media, I hope this conversation with Felicia shows you that it is possible. In fact, it just might be the best move you ever made for your client pipeline and bottom line. The thing to remember is that your marketing strategy needs to be aligned with your business model. Felicia's business only needs 10 to 15 clients per year to do really, really well. She doesn't need social media stardom to make that happen. Now, if your business model requires hundreds of people buying a course or enrolling in a program, you might need to think a little more about giving up on quote unquote building an audience. So the question I want to leave you with today is... Does the way you're marketing your business actually align with what your business needs from marketing? Next week, I'll have a live conversation with Hillary Ray about storytelling and how to use story more effectively in the content you create. What Works is produced by Yellow House Media. Our production coordinator is Lou Blazer. Our production assistant is Emily Kilduff. And this episode was edited by Marty Seafelt. What Works is recorded on the ancestral homeland of the Susquehannock and Conestoga people in what is now known as Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. The Yellow House is located on the unceded land of the Katunaha Nation in what is now called Kalispell, Montana. 